I don't know if there's going to be a moment today where uh, we kind of catch our breath and land on solid ground, um, but a few things I think need to be said. Number one, continued patience with our team. Uh, we planned on a lot of people being here at the first gathering, but not this many, and uh, we're figuring out parking solutions and space solutions and maybe reopening Airport Road faster than we thought. We had that long goodbye that was sad with Airport Road, and it might be like, hey, we're back, um, like so many of your college relationships. Whoa. Um, but, and then just to warm you guys up a little bit, how about that epic, long, powerful, awestruck moment of silence followed by 100 coughs? Cause I told you, you cough because you're uncomfortable. And I love that we are learning to hold it. That was so awesome. That's just so beautiful. It's amazing to get to be a part of it. I was, I was unprepared for a million different things today, just ready to see what God was going to do and react to it. But as unprepared as I am for all the emotions and the events of today, I am overly prepared to preach to you today. Like have been ready for this sermon series for a long, long time. Today, we are launching a brand new series through the New Testament book of Acts. Yeah, somebody in the front row said, let's go. That's what you say about Acts. So if you were here in the fall, you know we went through the Gospel of Luke, not in chronological order, but in looking at a lot of different stories about the life of Jesus. Don't turn there yet, y'all. We're going to get a Bible drill in our first time in the building. Come on. Wait a second. Uh, if you're new, you'll find out what that is in just one second. So in the New Testament, there's Luke and Acts that are kind of written as two volumes of the same story, same author in both of them. But what's shocking is Luke actually wrote more of the New Testament than any other author, including Paul. So you take Paul's 13 letters, and they're not as long in total words than Luke and Acts combined. Luke was a Gentile physician who's extremely detailed with his narrative. And that's why we didn't take on the gospel of Luke chapter by chapter and verse by verse. We kind of skipped around. But I feel compelled by God to go through Acts chapter by chapter, and verse by verse. And that means that this series, Scripted It Out, is going to be a little over a year. So here's, here's what we're looking at. I've got several options for you guys, and we'll see how this goes. I've split it into thirds in three different four-month segments. So we've got the first four months planned all the way through this summer. And then at that point, if we're like, man, we're, we're feeling a need in our church and we need to address this issue or, or, or whatever else, maybe a quick series breaking it up. But no matter what, whether we go straight through it from now until Easter 2024 or, uh, or, or we, we split it up, we're going to go through 28 chapters of the book of Acts. And it's going to be exciting. It is the unique story of how the early church began 2,000 years ago. And I cannot think of anything more fitting to be talking about as we enter into this new building than the story of the original genesis of the church from 2,000 years ago. Now, I want to give you a title of the sermon today. But as I do that, please know this is not just the title of this sermon. This title will become the subtitle of our entire series. So part one of Acts, that will kind of be the umbrella of every Every other conversation in Acts is going to be titled The Remnant on Mission. The Remnant on Mission. Look at somebody next to you say remnant. Remnant. If you've been coming to ACC for a while, that word should sound familiar. 
We did a series called Remnant where we walked through the Sermon on the Mount, which is uh, rightfully on a wall in our lobby. Anybody catch the Sermon on the Mount as you were maybe walking up the stairs into the mezzanine? It's like you're walking into the scriptures, which was our whole vision for that. I, I do need to say our interior designer, Rebecca Gray, just hit a home run with this building. And uh, if, if you didn't know that, it was one, one interior designer. I mean, she had an incredible team around her, but oh my goodness, all the many details that she was able to put together. And so we walked the Sermon on the Mount. And when we did that in fall of 2021, I kind of casted a new vision in front of our church where I said, hey, the Sermon on the Mount is not Jesus catering to the masses and ignoring his close disciples. The word remnant, by the way, means group that remains. I'm not talking about just like the remnant of Israel, like Paul talks about in Romans. I'm talking about like when you have a group that remains after it was a large group that has become small. And what I did is every week we walked through the Sermon on the Mount, I said, you know, churches like ours that grow quickly in their beginning days have this dangerous tendency of being fueled by this group of people that you would call the remnant. The remnant is the group of people that are faithfully praying, that they're usually there at the beginning of a move of God, leaning in for more of God. We're desperate for God, like David was talking about. We're fasting. We're doing all these spiritual disciplines, just wanting to see God do more. But what happens over time, especially as you build buildings and you grow a staff and and you systemize is you start to slowly drown out the remnant by catering to the masses. You have a day like today where so many people show up and who are available and you start to sort of water things down so that the new people will, will kind of be ingrained easier. And what happens is very subtle. It's never intentional. And this absolutely happened to a church I was a part of growing up is you start to cater to the masses and drown out the remnant. But what Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount is he actually did the opposite. He taught his disciples and invited the masses to listen in. So we said, this is a vision thing for ACC. We're not going to drown out the remnant by catering to the masses. We're actually going to invite the masses to be a part of the remnant. What that means is, if you're here at ACC today, in this building or at any of our locations, I want to tell you, point blank, our goal for your life is not that you would continue to come to our gatherings or listen to our podcast or be a consumer of Auburn Community Church content. Our unapologetic goal is that you would be a radical, committed, fully surrendered disciple of Jesus, that Christ would be formed in you over a lifetime. And listen, I'm, I'm talking to you, person who hasn't been in church in years. I'm, I'm talking to you nominal, kind of, yeah, I'm a believer because I live in the South and it's whatever. Like our goal for you is not, man, maybe at the right time, in the right moment of a song, they're gonna have some sort of an emotional connection to God. That is not the goal. The goal is that Christ would be formed into your life over a lifetime, that you would have a vibrant prayer life, that you would live on mission with your neighbors, that you would use your life to reach the nations for the glory of God, and that nobody would be left out of that invitation. Now, Miles, why are you talking about a series on the Sermon on the Mount? We're talking about Acts. What does remnant have to do with Acts? I didn't know until this week how the two connected, but then when I saw this, I could not believe it. Did you know when the church begins in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter one, we're gonna look at it today. This is after Jesus spent three and a half years publicly teaching and doing miracles. This is after Jesus dies on a cross publicly, rises from the dead, and appears to over 500 people over a period of 40 days in a resurrected body. After that, he ascends to the right hand of God, and the church is left to wait on the Holy Spirit. Do you know how many people were left after Jesus' ministry that had reached, not just through his, his point-blank connection to people, but through word of mouth, probably tens of thousands of people. Do you know how many people were left in the book of Acts who are faithfully following Jesus, a part of the local church. 
120 were left. Like, man, that successful ministry, Jesus, awesome. Came down from heaven, born of a virgin, three and a half years of miraculous healings and resurrecting people, then resurrecting yourself, and all you have is 120. See, the, the church is whittled down to a faithful few, and the remnant set on mission ends up going to the ends of the earth and getting to 2023, where we sit at 2200 Hamilton Road, lifting up the name of Jesus. And I just want to ask this question. What does it look like for the remnant to get set on fire for mission? Not to get set on fire for their gatherings together, but to get set on fire in a gathering to be sent out. That's what we're going to see happen in the book of Acts. Are you excited about this series? That's the intro. Are we excited about this? Okay. At the first ever gathering at Hamilton Road, if you have your Bible, hold it up. Hold it up. All other locations, you need to be doing this as well. Look around. We see you in the mezzanine. We see you in the volunteer room. We feel the energy in the lobby. Hold it up high. Keep it up if you're single. A lot better sight lines in this space than Airport Road. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Acts is the first book after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels. It's so unique. And Luke is going to pick up right where he left off at the end of his gospel. I'm going to clarify probably every week, and I did in our Luke series, that Luke and Acts have heavy Old Testament themes. Because the purpose of this writing is to connect the redemptive story of God, beginning with Father Abraham, to the covenant Jesus is making with God's people and connecting the two. That Jesus wasn't doing a new thing. He's, he's actually the, the completion of everything that was happening from the patriarchs. And so Luke will spend a lot of time and energy reaching back to Old Testament themes to make sure we know this is one story, not a new story. And we're going to read the first section today. Acts chapter 1, verse 1, if you're there. Say, I'm there. In my former book, Theophilus. Anybody having a boy? It's a good name. Theophilus. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So let's explain this. Luke begins in verse 1. He says, in my former book, Theophilus. What's he doing there? He's referring back to his gospel. And if you go to Luke chapter 1, verse 1, who is it addressed to? Most excellent Theophilus. Now that phrase, most excellent, is a phrase that Luke only uses when he's talking about a Roman official. So we believe Theophilus was an influential Roman official who was funding Luke's work. And at the beginning of Luke 1, he says, I'm writing these accounts so that you will know with certainty the things that you've been taught. Luke's purpose in gathering all these eyewitness accounts, remember, he's a physician. He's extremely detailed. He's like, my purpose is to make sure you don't believe a rumor about this Jesus stuff, but you know with certainty and confidence what actually happened. And his patron or, or the person who gave toward that moment is this guy named Theophilus. Now, Luke is not going, hey, everybody else can just read into my personal letter to Theophilus. This is written for a, a, a broader audience, but he's acknowledging this guy and going, you made this possible. And in this 
this moment, I just feel compelled as the leader of this church to say, thank you all for being a generous church that gave for us to have a moment like what we're sitting in right now. We are not here because I preached hard week after week after week. We are here because y'all gave generously. And there is a relationship between our willingness to give generously and the kingdom of God to expand. And so thank you for giving so faithfully. And I love that at the beginning of Acts, there's a connection there. So he says, here's what I'm gonna write to you about now. I wrote about what Jesus began to do and teach. That's the gospel of Luke, in Luke's mind. Yeah, that's when he, that's when he began. You're, you're getting like a little preview of what Acts is all about. See, it's called the Acts of the Apostles, but it really should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because the work of Jesus, in Luke's mind, had only begun. After all the miracles, after his death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension. He's like, yeah, I told you a little bit about what he began to do and teach, but make no mistake about it, that was not the end. He was just getting started. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, if you're here today and you doubt this whole Christianity thing, maybe you're more of an intellectual and you consider Christianity to kind of be on the side that just goes, yeah, it's just blind faith and they believe random things. You need to know our faith is not founded on the fact that we live in the Bible Belt and we have a tradition called Christianity. Our faith is founded on historical evidence verified by eyewitness accounts that if you look back, you will find more of the accuracy and historicity of Christianity is verifiable through documents that if they had documents about this, about anybody other than Jesus, the world would renown it as absolute fact. Luke says, the reason why we believe this is because over a period of 40 days, this guy who we saw die publicly was around physically speaking about the kingdom of God, just like he was during his earthly life. Our faith, you just need to know this, our faith is not founded on a fairy tale or a made up story by a chosen few. It is founded on the resurrection of Jesus that is absolutely beautiful. It's history. And then he goes on in verse four and he says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, I always have to stop right there. Remember, Jesus died and rose again and now he's eating. He's like, Miles, why does that matter? Because Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. If you are united with him, you'll be united in a death like his and a resurrection like his, which means heaven is you living in a resurrected form of the body that you're in right now. Heaven is real. There are real activities and real jobs and real relationships. And get this, there's real food. You should be freaking out right now. I mean, thinking about this and thinking about the capacity of human beings who are perfected, coming up with restaurants and create, I, I just can't wait to see what we come up with in heaven. While he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That phrase, do not leave Jerusalem, literally translated means stop coming and going. It's like stop leaving the city and coming back in the city. You just need to stay in the city and wait for the gift. The best gifts God has set aside for you in your life personally are always gifts that come on the other side of seasons of waiting. And Jesus goes, I got something coming. And he talked to him about it the night before he died, the Holy Spirit, but it's not gonna be immediate. You're gonna have to wait for it. You're gonna have to pray for it. You're gonna have to lean in. There's gonna be some meaningless days of feeling like I'm doing nothing, but there is power, there is help on the way. And that help is going to be a baptism. See, you were baptized for the repentance of your sins by John. 
but now you're going to be baptized with the fire of the Holy Spirit. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about what is necessary for every Christian to understand. Being a Christian is not simply about believing that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the grave, and I'm turning from my sins and trusting in Christ, and I'll see him in heaven one day. It is about a readily available empowerment that fills us on the inside and connects us to Jesus. So yes, it is a baptism of repentance, but it also is a baptism of fire. Miles, what in the world does that mean? Two weeks, we're going to talk about Pentecost. You'll hear more. But the Holy Spirit fills up believers on the inside and gives us power that we did not have pre this moment in the church's history. What does that power exist to do? That's what we're going to find out in the next couple of verses. Y'all lock in. Do not miss this. Then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They hear power and they're going, oh, it's time. You're about to overthrow a government, aren't you? You're about to finally reinstill David's throne, and here we go. No more Romans, no more oppression. It's game time, right? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. I love that answer from Jesus. He doesn't say, no, stop thinking about that. He goes, no, God's absolutely restoring the authority of Israel. And if you don't take the time to look in your Bible at the the value God places on the people of Israel and the eternal reign in the new Jerusalem that is ours as the people of God, New Testament, connected to Old Testament, you need to look more into the scriptures. Jesus is going, but that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what this moment is about. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I somewhat don't like that this is the case, but Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is the most important verse in all of Acts. Which when you're doing a year-long series, that's really unfortunate to throw that out on week one. It's not going to get any more important than this, guys. But you will, here's what this whole movement of the Holy Spirit is about. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Miles, why is this the key verse of the entire book of Acts? Because this is the preview of what's about to happen. They will receive the Holy Spirit. They will witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the local church is still alive 2,000 years later because of that witness. But notice this. Everybody look up here. If I lost you in in the verse-by-verse teaching, we're going to come back to Acts 1 in a few minutes. But i got to just talk about Acts 1-8 for a while right now. When Jesus announces the arrival of the Holy Spirit, he says, You will be filled with power and you will be my witnesses. That word, witness, is almost like a courtroom word that means to give testimony about what you saw and heard. In other words, power is going to fill you to enable you to articulate out loud what a relationship with me means. It means the primary function of the Holy Spirit is to fuel believers for the mission of the kingdom of God expanding on planet Earth. So don't get weirded out in the book of Acts as we're talking about the Holy Spirit of God. So many people make this about an emotion or some kind of mystical experience or a feeling. The primary function of the Holy Spirit is fire for mission. And the Holy Spirit fills you so that you can articulate out loud to a lost, dark, and broken world. I don't know everything there is to know. But I do know this about who Jesus is to me. I was lost and now I'm found. I'm blind and now I see. And the Holy Spirit gives you the power on the inside to witness for the glory of God. Now, stay with me. Everybody look up here. Do not miss what I'm about to say. 
As we read Acts, for the vast majority of you, it will be beyond frustrating to see what real spiritual power looks like in the pages of the scriptures and look at your life personally. It'll be borderline sad. You'll be seeing waves and waves of just power and anointing and moments that only God, only God, only God. And then you'll show up for work the next day or take your kids to school, drive around Auburn, and it'll feel like the supernatural power is somewhat stuck in the pages of this story. And I wanna just speak to that tension today. Remember, the primary function of the Holy Spirit is to fuel you to witness. If you feel like power is missing from your life, if you've never experienced the power of God, if everything everybody's singing about in this room feels like a distant reality that they get that you don't get, here's what you may not be paying attention to. Maybe the power is missing in your life because the mission is ignored. Maybe the power is missing because the mission has gone dormant in your life. Because what does the power exist to do? A function called witnessing. And if you ignore the function of the power, the power is no longer needed. So if you want more of God in your life, it's not about, God, I'm begging you to let me feel something and I just need to hit play on one more song on shuffle and maybe it'll perfectly align to my circumstances or random Bible drill and hopefully I end up in the Psalms with something relevant to my life like many of you do. And it's like, we're just looking for the power to fill us. Maybe the power will fill us when we start paying attention to the function of said power from the very beginning of the church. How do I know if I'm living on mission? How do I know if I'm ignoring the mission? Well, I got asked this week one of the most convicting questions I've ever been asked, and it read me like a book and told me I'm not living on mission. And if I'm the leader of this, I would assume many of you share in my guilt. I got asked, hey, if Jesus walked into the room right now and just said, hey, immediately, right here, right now, across the board, it's a yes to every prayer you've prayed in the last week, just instantly. Everything you've asked me for in the last week, done. If that happened, would anybody get saved? Oh, it gets worse. Because then he goes, what about the last month? What about the last year? And I, I know this from being in ministry, but I know this from being in Auburn. Sometimes the more Christian and mature your circles become, the more disconnected you get from the original mission of reaching the loss in the first place. And the adventure and the power that once filled you is replaced by somewhat good things. Discipleship's important, growing in holiness, like-minded believers, absolutely. But when you get asked the question, hey, if God gave a point blank yes to every prayer and you can't think of anyone who would get saved because of that, well, most of you are going, well, I need to pray in the first place and that's a whole nother issue. But I'm feeling that and I'm going, okay, what am I gonna do with this? In this uh, sermon I was listening to, the guy said, I want you to pray from now until Easter for one lost person in your life. I'm talking 10 seconds a day, every day until Easter. So I heard this sermon on Monday of this week as I'm preparing this sermon. And one guy came to my mind and I'm like, okay, from now until Easter, which by the way, if you start that today, Easter's three weeks away. I don't know if y'all realize that. So 21 days of prayer, about 21 days of prayer for someone who's lost. Um, but I started praying on Monday. I'm just believing, God, you're gonna do something this Easter. I kid you not, 
I ran into this guy yesterday afternoon. And he is freaking out that we're opening our building. And he's coming to the next gathering after this one. I was like, whoa, God, that was fast. (laughs) It is fast because the power is just sitting there waiting to be poured out. God is wanting people to be reached. And we're sitting there with all the capacity in the world that connects us to Jesus, but we're ignoring the function. We're ignoring the mission. And when you get back in line with that mission, all of a sudden you get filled once again with the power. And I'm not up here today on our first Sunday in this building to shame anyone with this message. This is not about, hey, feel guilty because you haven't been inviting people. You haven't been talking about Jesus. You haven't been unashamed. It's not that talk. It's an invitation into the adventure of more of God. You are no living on mission for your faith is actually the best defense mechanism you have against the darkness and all of the attempts on your life. Like if you live a compelling life, that's the best way to fight against sin that so easily entangles. I think, oh man, so many groups I've been in, it's like, okay guys, how do we strategize how to get better at our, at our besetting sins and the things that hold us back and let's get set free in the name of Jesus. Okay, you quote that verse and you hold me accountable and you put, and, it, and it's all about all these systems that we're trying to put in place to get free from sin. None of them are necessarily bad, but here's a really good system. Live such a compelling life on mission that living for Jesus is better and more fun and sin can't compete in comparison. But you're not going to have that compelling life if the power's not flowing through you and the power's not coming if it's not about people. The power has a purpose attached to it and we're missing out on the adventure of following Jesus because I think we're maturing away from the mission of being sent out for the glory of God. We've got to remember the original purpose of this power in the first place and I actually believe that for so many of us, sin looks so attractive because your life is so boring. If God's never doing something compelling and interesting through you, no wonder sin wins every single time you compare the two. If you actually live your life on mission for the glory of God, you'll be looking around at an adventure that the world can't compete with. You know, Courtney read Psalm 84 today. It's been on my heart all week long. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I gotta tell you, Man, I know the world has some good offers for your flesh and some temporary satisfaction. I'm standing here today, 34 years old, going, he is so much better than anything they can offer you. Give your life wholeheartedly to this mission and see the power of God fill your life. Power flows where people witness. Our church has been together for eight and a half years. I've preached hundreds of sermons. You don't know how deflating it is for me to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that none of my sermons come in the top five most powerful Sundays we've ever had together as a church. Because our most powerful Sundays are always baptisms. And what's so powerful about baptisms? Well, it's not that we dunk people underwater and they survive. If you've been to our baptism gatherings, you know what it is. People share their stories. And you got a seven-year-old going, my mom and dad have taught me about Jesus my whole life and I'm ready to make this decision and dedicate my life to him. You got a 70-year-old going, I have wasted years and marriages, but God has given me a new beginning in this season and I'm saying yes to it. You got college students who are going, I'm gonna give my life radically for the glory and the fame of Jesus. And you get person by person articulating out loud who Jesus is to them. What do you get? Power. 
Y'all know, you've stood in those spaces and you know, there's something so strange about what's happening in this room right now. No matter how hard I preach or what passage I preach on, there's something that happens when people get bold enough to articulate out loud, this is who Jesus is to me. Why is that power always there? Because that's what Jesus promised in his final moments before he ascended to the right hand of God. So here's my challenge for our church from our first Sunday in this building. What if baptism Sunday wasn't reserved for baptism Sunday? What if our whole church, the remnant, was living on mission like it was a baptism Sunday for a lost world to know? And I realized that is, that is super hard in Auburn and in Birmingham specifically. I don't know enough about Huntsville. I'm learning more about you guys. I heard something about outer space, but, um, but I'm learning. I'm learning culture around here. I know we're just surrounded by churches and ministry, but I'm telling you, even in your own backyard and at the grocery store next to this building, there's a lost world dying without Jesus and we have to be paying attention. So what is the mission? When we talk about the remnant on mission, I need to clarify because the word missions in Christian circles can get taken in all kinds of different directions. If you grew up in a Baptist church, it looks like going to this country and getting with this group and wearing matching t-shirts. If you grew up in another tradition, it looks like going downtown and feeding people. And it's like, we're, we're going on mission, mission, mission. But missions, according to the scriptures, the mission of Jesus is all about kingdom advancement. So every time we use the word mission, we're talking about advancing the space where Jesus is king and ruling and reigning. That's why when Jesus becomes king of your life and you say Jesus wins, you are now a member of the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God expands wherever you go to wherever you go because he lives in you. Well, as the kingdom of God advances, human beings always flourish and the name of Jesus is always glorified. And so our vision for the future of our church is that the kingdom would be advanced in new ways. But in light of Acts chapter one, I have three of them here today. And yes, they are very central to us building this new building. If you're joining us through a screen, know that we love you. This is a special season in the life of our church. And this is like ground zero of what we're sending out to the rest of the world. So just forgive if this isn't as relevant to you as it is to everybody who's at this building and let's go with it. Kingdom advancement. Are y'all still with me? Am I going too long on week one? You know, the, the police told me when the best time would be to let out of the service because we have a, an incredible church across the street who we're trying to be really good neighbors to. And uh, they were like, if you could go a little long, that, that would actually help us. And I was like, say no more. Oh, yes, let's do it. I got three points and they're all long. Number one. Okay, if the mission is kingdom advancement, what does that mean? Kingdom advancement means resistance from the darkness. Yes. Kingdom advancement means resistance from the darkness. I want you to notice what Jesus says and what he doesn't say. He says, you're going to be filled with power and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But Jesus does not tell them how that's going to happen. As we journey through Acts, here's what you're going to discover. The believers don't get together in a boardroom, grab a whiteboard, and go, how are we going to reach the ends of the earth? Let's make a plan. Do you know how the gospel goes out? Through persecution and suffering and death. The darkness always resists where the kingdom is spreading out and taking new ground. And so the believers start to get killed and persecuted in Jerusalem, so they spread out to the surrounding area. That's Judea. 
And then more are dying and being persecuted. So, so they have to go further. It's not that they got together and said, hey, we should, we should send you there and you there and you there. It's that they had to spread out the more that persecution was breaking out. And as they got to new places, this will really throw you off if you haven't read Acts in a while. Every time the gospel takes new ground, there is demonic resistance in the book of Acts. I'm talking about weird stuff happening. I'm talking about the first youth group meeting in Acts 5. Ananias and Sapphira drop dead because they lie about how much money they got from selling their land. That's the first youth group meeting in the local church, by the way. Like, like weird, demonic pressures are happening. Paul goes into a city and there's fortune tellers following him, like yelling, this man is speaking the words of God. There's all kind of oppression that's not necessarily coming from this group or that group. It's coming from a battle that goes beyond flesh and blood principalities and rulers. And I just want to announce this because if we're going to get serious about kingdom advancement as a church, the darkness will resist. We did not start ACC and build this building in the loveliest village on the plains. I like that phrase, but we did not do that to have another nice, wealthy, prosperous church in Auburn, Alabama. We did not do that. We did this to join in on a cosmic war that exists. And if you're not ready for what we're about to get into as a church, you really need to strongly consider this not being your church home. Because just by proximity to what God's doing here, you have signed up for a target on your life. You don't think there's a target on this church? When planes used to fly into Auburn, they flew over a cow pasture. Now they fly over a sign that says Jesus wins. And as awesome as that is, you know who else notices that? The darkness. And so there's pressure and there's resistance that comes against us. Why? Because the evangelization of the world equals the return of Christ. Our role in this story is to usher in the welcoming of Jesus. We're the bride of Christ, right? How do we participate in that? By telling the whole world. And you see that in the end of this scene. So I didn't read the end of Acts 1, uh, verses 9 through 11. I want to finish this section. I want you to see what happens when Jesus ascends to the right hand of God. It says in verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. What an awkward way for one of the most epic moments in scripture to go down. Jesus ascends into heaven, rolled up in a cloud, cloud symbolizing the presence of God. Dumbfounded, jaw drop, not moving. And it's almost like this awkward moment that angels creep up Go, hey, uh, what are you guys doing? We don't know what to do. Uh, you should do the last thing he told you to do because he's coming back the same way you just saw him go. Your job is not to look at the sky and wait for him to come back. Your job is to usher in his returning by receiving the gift he promised and living out on mission. Guys, I, I know America has gotten into a tough place the last couple of years. I know the world gets more and more lost and more and more evil as we go around on the journey we're on. I get that. But a Christian's role right now is not to become a troll on social media who's like, I just can't wait for Jesus to come back and all the suffering to go away. I'm just looking at the sky going, you, you come on, I'm ready when you are. No, your job is to evangelize the world with the name of Jesus to be a bride that's prepared for his coming. 
And the men go, no, 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 you go and, and you tell the world who Jesus is. That's your role. And then you'll see him come back. Last thing I'll say about point number one is um, our, our team has absolutely experienced this resistance from the darkness the last couple of months. And it's just so cool to stand here today on the back end of that. I mean, weird stuff happening, weird stuff happening in families, weird stuff happening in kids. Gage Henry, our college and community pastor who we love and absolutely wish he was here. He uh, got in a bad accident on a mission trip with some of our LDPs that completely like terrorized his face. And like, I believe it was an attack from the enemy on his life. He had surgery this week. He's going to make a full recovery, but it's literally going to take months for him to be back at full strength. And I just view that and many other things as, oh my goodness, there are so many things coming against this group of people right now, but the evidence of darkness resisting you is not evidence that you're losing. It's evidence that you're taking ground for the kingdom of God. But if you're not ready, if you're not ready for that level of resistance, you'll never take the first couple of steps and walk in power. Kingdom advancement means resistance from the darkness. That was one, you ready for two more? Number two, stay with me, guys. Kingdom advancement means going to the world, not just coming to a building. Yeah. Kingdom advancement means going to the world, not just coming to a building. 2200 Hamilton Road does not exist to get you here and have a nice church service. It exists to send you from here into all the world on mission for the glory of God. How does that happen? Same way Jesus instructed the disciples back then, I believe he's instructing us now. Our Jerusalem is Auburn. Our Judea, you can put this on the screen, is Alabama. You can put this on the screen. Okay, here we go. Our Samaria is the United States of America, and the ends of the earth is all nations. This is how it works for our church, that we start here locally, and we see God move in our city. We got a heart for all God is doing right here on this campus, in this town, and into the surrounding communities, and then we spread out to Judea, so Birmingham, that's you guys. Huntsville, you're barely in Judea up there. You're almost in another state, almost in Samaria land, which would be the rest of the United States. I love that Samaria for us is the U.S. because sometimes living in the South, the hardest country to love is our own elsewhere. And so God is going, no, 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 it's not just your area of your country. It's like it's spreading, it's spreading, going wider, even to the people who you believe would be the hardest to love all the way to the ends of the earth, those who have never heard the name of Jesus. Now, look up here. I cannot wait to tell you this. Anybody can put this plan on a screen and go, hey, Jesus said this, we're gonna start here and then we'll spread here and then we'll spread here and it'll be great. Anybody in any moment can go, that's the plan. And I think it's a right plan when you read the scriptures. Here's what's so special and so significant about this moment. Look at where you're sitting right now and look at what our plan is. We have been gifted with a divine capacity to see this happen in our day in a way that is unrivaled. What do you mean? I mean the fact that there are thousands of 18 to 22 year olds, 23, 24, if they take a victory lap, who come through. They come through our church. The university is telling us that they are seeing droves of college students applying from all over the country. And one of the main reasons they're applying to get here is this church. Like they want to come here and grow in their faith over time. Well, well, what if God puts in a college town a church whose heart is to reach the world with kingdom advancement with unrivaled resources to get the gospel there? Yes. Gathering and pooling our resources was not about building this so we can have comfortable Sundays. It was about building a battle station to raise disciples and send them out to the world. That's the vision. And you're here. 
and you get to participate in that. There is nothing I can think of that's more fun to do with my life or with our time together than to usher in the return of Christ through this moment in the body of Christ that we've been entrusted with. So whatever your role is, play it. If your role is going to the nations, we need to raise you up. If your role is growing to become the father, the husband, the wife, the mother, the business person that you're, everything comes with a gospel worldview, but it just, it just needs to be said. The mixture of the turnover and transience of ACC with the wealth and prosperity and resources that are here, it's not an accident and it's not for us. I cannot say that enough. It's not for us, God. It's just awesome. Man, we're amazing. No, it's for us to go, how much have we been entrusted? How much is God going to hold us accountable for, guys? So this is what this exists for, to get the gospel out, the combination of radical commitment and incredible capacity. And I would just encourage you, if you're going to be here, please play your part. Don't come here because my 40 minutes are more compelling than that guy or that guy's. Come here because you believe in this mission. And you want to, for, to fulfill this and do your part, whatever your part is in your lane with what you've been entrusted with. And then lastly, and I promise I'm done. Lastly, best one of all, kingdom advancement. Let's do all three. Kingdom advancement means resistance from the darkness. Kingdom advancement means going to the world, not just coming to a building. And number three, kingdom advancement means personal repentance. Personal repentance. So you're like, Miles, what is, what is my first part in living out this mission? What's my part? Your part is recognizing that you don't have a part. It's about trusting and resting in what Jesus has done for you and for me. Repentance is when you see that your way is not working and there's a better way. And it's a way made for you by Jesus. And so if, if anything could get through to you today in our first time gathering here and wherever you are joining us from, I want it to be this moment right now. I have literally waited moments. If you're like on the edge of your seat, like we've been here long enough, just please stay with me and stay tuned into what I'm about to say. We went back and forth for so long on when the first Sunday of this building would be. Five, maybe six different dates were picked out and for delays and reasons that we couldn't control, kept having to push back and what's the right timing and what's whatever. Well, two months ago today, on January 19th, we finally pulled the trigger. It's going to be March 19th. And we did that because I had a time with the Lord where I noticed something in the book of Acts, and I knew we were going to be studying Acts in this season that I'd never seen before. It was a speech that Peter was making that we're going to get to in a couple of weeks. You don't got to turn there. I just want to read it to you. It was Acts 3.19. It says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Peter was giving this speech to a group of people who insisted on killing the son of God. And after Jesus rose from the dead, Peter's announcement to them was, hey, leave it on the screen, please. I want people to see this. Turn from your sin, trust in Christ, so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. If that's the announcement that's made for the people who killed Jesus, no matter where you find yourself in your story today, the announcement is the same if you have breath in your lungs. That times of refreshing, not times of judgment, times of condemnation, times of refreshing 
may come from the Lord. Well, that phrase, times of refreshing, grabbed me. Now keep in mind, this is Acts 3.19. What's today? March 19th. So I'm like, okay, that's giving me a little bit of a feeling, but times of refreshing kind of makes me think of the season of spring. Well, I wasn't in Acts in my personal Bible reading. I'm not making this up. There's no exaggeration on this story whatsoever. I was in Isaiah 43. And I read Isaiah 43, 19 that day, which said, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. So I'm reading those two passages, both have a 319 attached to it. One of them about times of refreshing and one of them about something springing up. And I just decide to Google, when is spring? 2023, spring 2023 begins on Monday, March 20th. It's not an accident that you're here today and you need to know the evidence of God doing a new thing and starting a new season in our church is a personal invitation in your relationship with God for a new beginning in times of refreshing to come from the Lord. If you will turn from your sin and trust in Jesus, whatever is holding you back or making you believe that you've been disqualified today, I'm telling you, it has not left you out of the story of God. God's got more. And it starts right here, right now. It is a new season. When you wake up tomorrow morning, I know it's gonna be freezing cold outside. God decided to extend winter a couple of days. I get it. But what if the seasons that we're in physically right now were just a reminder of the spiritual invitation of God? What have you wasted your life on a relationship that God's going, I got a new beginning for you? What have you been stuck in an addictive pattern that a new beginning and an invitation to God to go, hey, if you trust me and you come with me, I've got a new way and a new path and you are forgiven and you are set free and you are made whole and this is your invitation. Kingdom advancement begins when the people of God decide to trust that what Jesus did was enough. Can we be that church? Can we do that? Let's stand to our feet all over this space. Stand to your feet if you're in another location. As much as possible, no one moving or being distracting. I felt called by God to announce that the winter has been long, but the spring has come and Jesus wins. The band's gonna come up here and we're gonna have our final moments of worship together. And I would love to just pray for people who need that new beginning right now. So if you're here, and this has been one massive reminder of what God's capable of doing. I just wanna invite you into more. Would you close your eyes all over this face and just receive from God right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We are asking you right now that your Holy Spirit would be covering people and awakening them to the new beginning that they are given by you. God, if there's anyone within the sound of my voice right now who needs times of refreshing to come from the Lord, I pray that your word to them, just like it was there for me, is that the winter has gone, the spring has come, that in your presence there is rest. God, help them to surrender. Help them to hand it over. God, I pray for the generations that are gonna be raised up in this church, that they wouldn't be raised up in a self-absorbed church that's just looking at ourselves, but they would be raised up in a mission-advancing church, that the kingdom would go, that on earth as it is in heaven, God, that is our prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I thank you for every kid right now in ACC Kids. 
that the faces that they see pick them up today would not be downcast and wasting their time on things that are less than you, but they would be radiant knowing that they have met with the God of the universe. God, thank you for a new beginning. Thank you for an opportunity for more of you. Thank you for this space to be able to lift up the name of Jesus. Our prayer is that you do more in and through us, immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. God, would you let hope rise for the downcast? Would you let the presence of God cover this space and leave us living on mission? We love you. We sing to you today in Jesus' name, amen.